Good morning. Would you take God's word and turn to Genesis chapter 41? We're going to close out a series looking at the story of Joseph. And last week we looked at the end of it. We're going to kind of back up and take a look at the middle piece of the story this morning. As we do that, I want to take an old story and turn it into modern day parables. Is that okay? But you're going to have to listen because it's a really heavy, heavy story. So here we go. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And four things immediately happened. Number one, they had to find out whose fault it was. Everyone knows people just don't fall. There had to be a reason. And and how did he get on the wall in the first place? And why was he on the wall? It had to be somebody's fault. Number two, just how bad was the fall? I mean, we know the media. Really? Really? All the king's horses and all the king's men. And what do horses have to do with it anyway? (laughs) Number three, they had to make a new law so that no one would ever fall off a wall again. Had to take precautions, build fences, make signs, put guards, whatever it took to make sure no one would fall again. And number four, of course, the lawyers had to show up to make someone pay for this fall. And while everyone was talking and concerned, no one noticed that in the back of the crowd lay Humpty Dumpty, broken, lying in pieces, crying out to God, forgive me, I'm a sinner in need of your grace. We are all broken. That's right, Kenny. Kenny just claps on cue. You guys should be amen in that. And you... You don't, Kenny's going to join in. We are all broken in need of grace, amen? Amen. We live in a world full of injustice. That's what we've been talking about. And as we note, our reactions are not always helpful. Our vision is often clouded by our own narrow-sightedness, selfishness, and desires. But let's make sure we know of something right out of the gate. God is at work. Amen? Amen. I mean, that's the principle. Write it down. Take it to the bank. God is at work. And it should come up on the slide. There we go. It does not depend on whether you sense it or not. It doesn't depend whether you see it. It doesn't depend on your ideology or political affiliation. There is no age limits. He's at work in kids. He's at work in teens. He's at work in young adults. He is at work in older adults. And you know what an older adult is, right? It's anybody older than you. Here's our problem. We have this naval tendency to see things the way we want to see them. And everything is subject to our line of sight, to our emotions. So we become little mini messiahs, little control freaks. There's a right way to do things and a wrong way. And of course, the right way is our way. And we forget the opening line of scripture. It says, in the beginning, God created, which means he is the source of everything and everyone. And of course, it means he's creative, he's innovative. Look at the diversity of people. Have you noticed this morning, nobody looks like you in this auditorium? Look at the diversity of animals. Look at the diversity of nature. It is, and what do we do? We try to make everything the same. 
And yet his fingerprint is written all over creation. So we've been following this story of Joseph. How he's the injustice of being sold into slavery by his brothers. Even though the birthright was something that came by law because Reuben forfeited the birthright because of his sin. We look at the injustice of being and being raised up in Potiphar's household. And along comes a woman who, because he wouldn't do what she wanted him to do, lied and he ended up in prison. We saw the injustice of how in prison he helped two people out. They said, we're going to remember you someday. And they forgot about him. And for 13 years, he lived with that injustice. Let's pick up the story and let's find out how he rose from prison in the pits to second in command in Egypt. Genesis 41. After two whole years, this is two years after the one guy got out of prison, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows attractive and plump and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and the Pharaoh woke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. I think I'd be troubled if I dreamt dreams like that, too. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, and there was none that could interpret them to the Pharaoh. You know, I, I look at that, and I ask myself questions like this. Why didn't they lie? I'm sure they had in the past. Just make something up. But, you know, evidently there was something different. There was something unique. God was at work. Verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. We're talking about two years. When Pharaoh was angry with his servant and put me and the chief baker in custody of the house of the captain of guard, we dreamed in the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. The young Hebrew who was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, it came about, I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. When he was shaved and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Pharaoh answered, Joseph answered, Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Again, interesting answer, isn't it? You know, at this point, Joseph was clueless. He had no idea about the dream. But then I asked myself, or did he? Did God kind of preempt because he had the dream back with his brothers about what was going on? And as he watched everything unfold, did he realize that this was an opportunity that God was bringing him to? But I think about this courageous response. 
You know, why did he sit there and say, listen, I can't do it, but tell me the dream. God will give you the interpretation. And just maybe God walked with him through the valley of injustice, through the valley of shadow of death. God walked with him through those hard times when things weren't going the way he wanted. And just maybe in those times as he navigated, as he realized how God worked, he developed this incredible confidence in God at work. Look at verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will rise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man to set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one fifth of the produce the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for good for food in the cities and let them keep it that food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. So you notice he not only stated the problem, but he gave a solution. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And the Pharaoh said to the servants, Can we find a man like this in whom whom is the Spirit of God? By the way, that's a great question. And I hope we realize this morning that godly living, yes, it'll take us through the valley of the shadow of death. It'll take us sometimes we're being sold. Sometimes we're being lied about and accused. Sometimes we find ourselves in prison and we help people and they don't help us in return. But godly living brings us to a place of wisdom. And there will be times where it can and is visible to people outside the kingdom when they're looking for it. Usually it comes in times of crisis. 
Sadly, today in our culture, who do we turn to in times of crisis? Have you noticed? Celebrities. It's people who make a living out of pretending to be somebody else. I don't know if you heard that all the statues that are pulling down about with the Civil War uh, figures. There's proposals now and petitions going around. They want to erect statues honoring celebrities instead. And I think, how insane are we? But that's what we do, don't we? We look to celebrities. But what we have to realize that while there's an illusion that some people can lead, God's power is unlike anything else. It gives us the ability to live out God anywhere under any circumstance. It's called living the presence of Christ. And it doesn't matter if we're in the pits, if we're in prison, if we're being sold through injustice. We can live out his presence. We are the visible representation. That's why we're called the body of Christ. He's the head to our world. And you and I know that around the world this very morning, because people are choosing to live out Christ, some are thrown in prison. Some are killed and murdered. And others are exalted to very high positions. Let's finish the story. Verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Now, we said last week that this was a strategy where God was keeping his covenant with Israel, that through these seven years, he would keep them safe and well-fed. That's what this whole story is about. God fulfilling his promise. But let me ask you this question. If we had a team of people way back at the beginning of this story, and we were asked to, to create a strategic plan to move Joseph into position of second in command of Egypt, what kind of strategy do you think we would have come up with? I really doubt it would have been, okay, we're going to sell him as a slave. We're going to make sure that he gets into an unjust situation with Potiphar's wife, thrown in prison. I mean, we don't think this way. And we don't feel this way. Here's the second truth I want to talk about this morning. The first was God is at work. Here's the second. We do not like the way God is at work. We love the outcomes. We sit there and applaud. Yay, Joseph, second command. We got a great God. But we do not enjoy the journey. Everything in this story violates our sense of fairness and justice. Somehow we still believe in America that the wealth and freedom we have in America is due somehow to our superior value. It's because somewhere along the line, we love Jesus more than everybody else. And we think we are so smart. And we forget history. Any history buffs here? Remember Copernicus? Remember his big contribution? I mean, Copernicus came along and he asked some really hard questions like, why do the seasons change? Why do some stars appear in the day and others at night? And and how far must one sail before they fall off the edge of the earth? Because everyone knew that the earth was flat. And everyone knew that our earth was the center of the universe and everything revolved around the earth. 
And for 50 years, they mocked him. Along comes one of his students, Galileo, like-minded, very persistent. And he kept pushing, saying, wait a minute, you know, uh, the earth isn't flat. We really think it's a sphere. And we don't think that things revolve around us. We think that we revolve around someone else. And you know what he got? The king locked him up. The church, that's us, kicked him out for heresy. It violated their sense of doctrine. And when you look at history, it took over a century to move from what was false to what was true. And this is what God does for us. He taps us on the shoulder. He says, here's my son. Here is my beloved son. He is the center of it all. And he seeks to rescue from a life that doesn't work. He seeks to put the pieces of Humpty Dumpty back together again. Because all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't. And many places around the world, our brothers and sisters are in prison. They're beaten, they're tortured, and they're killed for that very truth. Because people say it's a lie. So what are some other lessons? Here's a third one. Joseph used his gifts no matter where he was. Did you notice in the story, his circumstance did not matter as much as his God. So how you and I view life will make a significant difference to how we live. We are defined by purpose and value. And God claims this of every single person, that we are made in his image, every one of us. And when we lose sight of this vision, we live out the lies. We get involved in violence. We get involved in pettiness. And it takes over life. It takes over the church. Instead of this grand journey that God has engaged us in, if scripture tells us anything, it tells us that we cannot limit God on any level. And remember the crazy story? And you can title this one, The Day the Sun Stood Still. They're fighting this war and, and they needed daylight. So literally, for an entire day, the sun did not move. Now, all the complexity of what we know about the earth rotating the axis, about us spinning around the sun, about our universe spinning around another universe. Can you imagine the complexity of God stopping all that, saying, okay, you're still going to not float off in outer space. Gravity's gonna, still going to exist. You know, nothing's going to hit each other. We're just going to put a hold on everything. How about the time that a prophet was doing what prophet should have been doing? He was making some sweet deals for money on the side. And so he's going along his merry way, thinking about the money he's going to make. And God uses what? A donkey. A talking donkey. Got the implication, don't you? God can use a donkey. (laughs) He can use any one of us. I mean, we cannot limit how God involves himself in his work. Now, let me give you an example of what this looks like. We live in a world of accusation, protest, and violence. That's a given. I looked up some research this past week. City of Chicago, to date this year, there's been 465 murders. 
That doesn't count the amount of rapes. It doesn't count the amount, amount of shootings and all the. This is just people who've died at the hands of other people. How many people have heard of JPUSA in Chicago? It's literally spelled JPUSA. They call it Chaposa. It was a church started in 1972. A group of Christians decided they want to change the world and they're going to start in one of the worst neighborhoods in Chicago. Their lead pastor, Glenn Kaiser. Many of you know him for his music. You probably didn't know that he started this church. Now, in that day, his style of music was not looked upon very well in the church. In fact, he was condemned by many churches because of the style of his music. They had no clue what he was doing. They had no clue he was in the streets with the drug addicts, with the prostitutes, with the homeless. And he was making a difference. 45 years later, that church is still there and thriving. And they're still living the dream of Christ changing lives with people that most congregations would write off. And most people wouldn't take their kids into the neighborhood in which they're located. Let me give another example. Organization, names unimportant. Because if we give it, some people will get upset. (laughs) But when all the rhetoric was going on around illegal immigration, closing certain countries and protests, an individual, instead of getting lost in all the protests and arguments, says... Let's do something about it. So he raised $15 million and rescued 2,400 people from Iraq. Some came legally to the U.S. Others were really coded legally to other countries as doors open. But instead of just arguing behind the scenes about what the government should do, $15 million rescued 2,400 people. That kind of stuff doesn't make the news. I ask why. There's plenty of good stories in the midst of all this chaos and evil. If you look for them, you will find them. Think about Texas. Let's show you some pictures about some heroes. We don't know their names, but they just jumped in and helped. Here's the first slide. Guy standing by just started carrying people to safety. Second slide. Somebody going by saw the truck flicking the, flipping the water. And they jumped in to rescue the little baby that would have drowned. Here's one of my favorite. I love this one. Going out of the living room in a sea-doo. Now, let me tell you the story behind this. This older couple called 911, couldn't get through. All the phones were tied up. So he said, you know what? We're just going to call our favorite restaurant, Chick-fil-A. So he called them up and says, "Uh, can you deliver two chicken burritos and a boat? The owner of the Chick-fil-A's husband had a wave runner and a friend had a wave runner. They went and picked them up. And this is him carrying her out while the husband's taking the picture. Then the husband gets to go as well. I mean, there are hundreds of stories of God at work in these kinds of things. I want to tell a story. It remains in my mind to this day, you know, there's very few preachers I hear speak that I remember the key point of the message. That includes myself. If you ask me Monday morning what I talked about, I say, well, let me check my notes because I'm usually brain dead. But people, we got to live out Christ. And the story comes from Ricky Bold. Remember Ricky? He was here, a friend of mine, big, tall African-American guy. 
made me look really small. Played for the Cleveland Browns. For those that are fans, I don't know if we have any Cleveland Brown fans here. But Ricky played for SMU prior to his conversion. Yes, it was back in the days before SMU got all their violations. But he said that freshman year in the backfield, there was Eric Dickerson and Craig James. Now, anybody that knows football, you think about what about a one-two punch. Those two guys were incredible running backs in the NFL. He says that Craig James had an attitude problem, so the coach benched him his first year. Can you imagine a coach benching Craig James? So here's the second year. And he's a bit more humble. So the coach says, you know, if you can play as a team, we're going to let you back in. First couple games he wasn't in, but there was this team coming down from the north that was supposed to beat SMU. In fact, they were supposed to thump them pretty hard. And so there was trash talk going all week about what's going on. And finally the game came and coach looked at Craig James and says, you're in. First play. They hand him the ball. He cuts around the corner, runs down the entire length of the field right in front of the fans and the bench of the opposing team. He gets into the end zone. He turns around and he starts shouting at the players and the fans. And here's what he said. Shut up or put up. He's walking down the sidelines. Ricky said he goes, he kept saying, shut up or put up, shut up or put up. I think he got a flag for it, for taunting. But I remember that line. And I think about for such a time as this, it's time for the church to put up or shut up. It's enough empty protests, enough words, but it's time we put up or shut up. You know, the kingdom of God, we are to expose God at work and we're called to do what is right and we're called to do it in creative, innovative ways. And the God of the impossible is far and far too often we sit here and we get lost in the rhetoric and the protest of our culture. And I just think there are mechanisms to avoid responsibility. See, here's another lesson. Joseph had a tenacious loyalty to God. His circumstances did not change his heart. He had this transcendent view of life from front to end and future. And that's why at the end of the story, when he's with his brothers, he says, listen, you meant it for evil, but God meant this for good to preserve Israel. I see that now, the promise that he made to Abram. I think about Jeremiah. I think about the injustice suffered. By the way, do you know Jeremiah's calling? God taps him on the shoulder and says, Jeremiah, I want you to preach my word. I says, but there's, there's going to be two problems. One is for your entire life, I'm going to promise you they will not kill you. Okay? I'm not going to promise they won't beat you, make fun of you, ridicule you, blame you, which they all did. But he says, in the final analysis, you're not going to die. I mean, how would you like that job description? He's before, he goes, but for 40 years, he goes, they're not going to listen. They're not going to hear I mean, how would you like that calling for 40 years to preach and no one listens? In Jeremiah 9, 23, 24, thus says the Lord, let, the, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, 
You want to brag about something? Brag about knowing God. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For 40 years, Jeremiah lived at the hands of the injustice of his own people. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, first four verses. Therefore, it says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lie aside every weight and sin. You notice weights can be good things. There's a lot of good things that can keep us from where we ought to be with God. And sin. It says, which, so, which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance. There's going to be part of the race you're going to want to quit. That's set before us. Set, there's purpose, there's value. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And that's a contradictory idea to us. We think about joy, we think about dying on a cross. They just don't go along. It's because joy is more than an emotion. It's a state of mind that we celebrate who God is, even when emotionally we're not there. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. The sinless one had to endure this from sinners so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. For all the Humpty Dumpties in our world who for whatever reason decided to climb a wall and they fell. For all the people lying broken and shattered, it is time to put up or shut up. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to close with a song that really celebrates who God is. The God of the impossibility. And when we think about how great thou art, let's really sing that in our minds and our hearts, no matter where we find ourselves this morning, understanding that he is who he is and he can do what he says he will do. And that is redeem and restore every single person. Amen. Let's stand as we celebrate.